react if I had to Put some things in the past to And don't let them distract you But react if you have to I'll react if I had to Put some things in the past to And don't let them distract you But react if you have to React if you have to Don't know the time, boy Synonymous episode 22. Jeff the liberal, Alan producing, and uh, Chris the asshole Pondoff uh, hosting, if you will. And and we're here on a on a special day. I I, I think we can call it. Um, yeah. Used to have a for for a while there. It had a very negative, dreadful. Um, feeling towards the day but it's different it's changed and it's and and things are 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 much better and and what i guess just letting the cat out of the bag it, it today is may 12th 2020 that we're recording this episode that will release on um the monday in six days uh whatever the fuck day that is the but, 18th um, 18th, yeah. So May 12th is the uh, anniversary of the day that my father passed away, who I've talked about a lot on this podcast, and we'll dedicate this show to him uh, for a couple different reasons. But, but uh, yeah, man, today's a good day, Jeff. I, I'm doing. I'm. I, I posted it on social media. Um, this used to be the the. It's the anniversary of the worst day of my life, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm doing good, man. And and when I thought that I couldn't experience any joy after, like May 12th, 2012 is when he died. And, and on May 13th, 2012, I thought life was over and there was no joy or happiness or smiles to be found. And and when you're in the pit of a grief um, vice grip, that's how you feel. Yeah, hopelessness, joylessness, lack of, ha- you know, not happy. But that that came to be bullshit. I I found joy again, and I found happiness again, and I'm a smiling from ear to ear prick sometimes. <laughs> so. So I shared that on uh, on social media because I want people to know it's parallel to addiction. When I was actively drinking and 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 using, when you the thought of getting sober of of cha- removing that addiction or that vice out of your lifestyle out of your life is is such a dreary, dreadful vision into the future you 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 just there's no way your brain doesn't recognize that you'll have able to be joyful because your joy and your happiness and your smiles are all tied so and inner fucking twined with your addiction that you remove that addiction there's no way that you'll be able to to experience happiness again so so it's parallel that when 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 tom died that um i was fucking addicted to him man he was everything to me so when he died, there was no way that I would experience joy again. And 
voila, I did, and I do, and I am happy uh, for the most part. Like I've always said, I can be a moody prick. Um, <laughs> comes with the nature of being a recovering alcoholic, I think, you know. Everybody else gets to fucking let a load off. Um, I got to actually feel, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> it's also parallel to, I bet, to a lot of people right now with the way they're feeling in the current state. Uh, hopelessness and you know, we've talked about anxiety and depression is at all time high because of this COVID shit. So yeah, for sure. There is reason to have hope and, and I promise you that you can find your smile again. So, so that'll about do it. That'll wrap up the episode. I, all right, cool. <laughs> I kind of jumped right in. <laughs> no, that's good, you, man. Today I'm looking forward to today and I've been looking forward to today for a long time because we're going to jump into something that I have been wanting to ask you about privately anyway. So yeah. I'm going to get to hear this story fresh right now for the first time. So I'm excited about it. Well, that's cool. And that's, this is the second episode in a row where, you know, I want you to participate as much as you can and want to always. But, you know, last fucking episode, it was just me and my mom. And I've already gotten reports back that it was great, but I talked too much. and didn't let her talk enough. And <laughs> I think that's part because, yeah, I'm an idiot and I'm new at this and I ramble the fuck on and like, you know, love the sound of my own voice. But she was a little nervous and she t- kept telling me to drive. So I drove and right. we'll, we'll have to have her on again because people want to hear more from from my mother. She's so sweet and beautiful and uh, and she can probably share some more insight um, to the story of, of being a mother of an an alcoholic and an addict. So I appreciate the feedback assholes and I will, <laughs> I will work to improve every, uh, every episode, but, uh, but Jeff's right. He, the, he's asked for this one today. He, yep. and, and I, I'm going to tell you, I don't, I don't talk about it very often. I, there's a couple reasons why, and I'll get into that, but, it, it it was it was we're going to talk today i'm going to share and i i think i mentioned it a couple weeks ago i'm going to share my stanley cup story um and my journey following the the run the, that the st louis blues had and try to articulate um what it meant to to me and and I think a lot of people listening are probably going to say it's a fucking sporting event, but this, this whole deal was a spiritual as fuck journey for me. And, and I'll get in, get into why. And Jeff's wanted to hear the story. Um, I, it's not a thing I talk about. People ask me because I did post a lot on, on social media as it everybody, but you know, I thought I posted it in a, in a creative way that wasn't, uh, too much of a hey look at me it was honoring not just my my life as a as a lifelong ice hockey um you know member of that community um honoring my my old man who's gone and, and wasn't here for what would have been one of the greatest days in his life to watch his team win this thing but also all the other folks that are like me that have had 
grandpas and uncles and fathers pass on without seeing every one of those motherfuckers was in the building um, with us, not just on game seven uh, and get during game seven at, at, at the garden in Boston, the TD garden, but throughout that run last spring and in early summer, man. And I don't talk about it often because it fucking is, it gives me the goosebumps out of my ass. It, was a magical deal it sometimes feels like i'm telling a fucking fantasy story that that didn't really happen <laughs> and i get i gotta pinch myself so those reasons and, and in fact i'm even wearing my shirt today that i wore throughout the playoff run yes it doesn't say chris you're hot for those <laughs> of you that are watching on youtube or the, the facebook deal it says if we can just get hot we can win this baby and it's a. Uh, it's satire a little bit. We that radio show I listen to it in the mornings when I can. Uh, a TMA on five ninety here in St. Louis AM. The one of the hosts. That's one of his sayings. All it, it, so we they made a joke about it, made it a T-shirt, and I shit you not, I wore this shirt. And even in fucking Boston, there was somebody that said, like the radio show slogan that said "Free Dotum." Uh, to uh, to me in in Boston while I was wearing this shirt. Nice. Um. So yeah, it's so I figured I'd wear the shirt today because you know I'm poetic as fuck. And yeah. Here we are. We're gonna we're gonna weave in a little Gloria uh, throughout the episode, and um, or maybe at the beginning, depending how uh, how Jeff wants to wants to weave that in. Uh, I, and if we even can legally, but you know. So so. To to start this 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 saga of of Chris Pondoff and ice hockey and St. Louis Blues and fucking heartache, um, I do got to start at the beginning, and this episode's going to be a little bit of storytelling from Chris, right? So, um, I hope it doesn't bore people to death. Um, I hope people still listen. And it's somewhat fucking captivating. I'll try to keep it that way. But um, I got to start as a, as as a little kid. When I, I mean, I was born into, uh, uh, uh born of a father uh, who played ice hockey his whole life, and ice hockey has, it, it's a, it's a. Especially it was when I was growing up, definitely when my father was growing up, more of a niche sport. Um, everybody played basketball and baseball and, and football for that matter. You know, it, most people, most kids. But finding an ice rink in southern Illinois and in, in the middle of the Midwest by St. Louis wasn't the easiest thing to do. Um, and with that came, comes a fraternity for those of us that wanted to play ice hockey or those of our parents that got our their kids into playing ice hockey because it's a you know it, it's just a smaller group of folks um it's a different style of sport um with with limited ice rinks comes um it is a bit more expensive with equipment and ice time um so it's not just a sport that everybody played and which is unfortunate. And I think that's being fixed now. I, I youth hockey 
in the St. Louis region has fucking exploded. Yeah. You know, mostly because of the amazing work of the alumni group of the St. Louis Blues. It's so woven into our community. And there's rabid hockey fans out there. Um, fucking rabid hockey fans. Uh, bluesers, if you will. Um, and they're all around us and, and that, and it, it's awesome because that just, that's what the, the game needs. But then there's also the kids that, and the, and the families that want to play it and be a part of it. And almost to an unhealthy extent there, my mom mentioned it last episode, how, you know, there's a little physicality to the sport and, uh. When I was growing up playing, it was uh, you can express yourself verbally, if you will. Um, I, I did that quite a bit um, <laughs> at a young age. Started using some pretty, uh, pretty rough language. Believe it or not, um, and the sport developed a, a fraternity and a way of life about it. So, growing. Th- up through elementary school i was the only, like one of the only kids at the school i went to probably if not the only that played ice hockey so there was some uniqueness about it right yeah and i fucking wore that with a like a badge of honor because i i literally my heart was happiest when i was on the ice so much so that we would practice as a little kid before school and i'm not talking about going out in the driveway and shooting some fucking pucks around in your garage at your garage door I'm talking going to an ice rink 30 to 40 miles away at 6 a.m., skating for an hour, and then going from there to grade school. It started at 8 a.m. We traveled a lot for tournaments because, you know, there's a ball diamond everywhere. There's not a... That's my TV just popping on. How about that? The real (laughs) fucking professional. There's not an ice rink around at every corner like there's a ballpark or a basketball hoop or right. a field that you can throw a football around. And um, it just becomes ingrained in your DNA. So much so that I would have to be, you know, like all the kids I grew up playing hockey with, we'd have to be called in constantly off the ice. We'd almost have to get ran over by fucking Zambonis to get us off the ice when our ice time was over. When there was a snow day, our parents, we, we begged and pleaded our parents to take us to, at the time, was where I grew up. My home rink was Cahokia Ice Rink, which is 20 miles away from Belleville, where I grew up, lived. And it, it, we'd have our parents drop a group of us off at Cahokia Ice Rink on a snow day from school, first thing in the morning. And we'd stay there all day at Stick and Puck, is what it was called. And we, could, we were not happier. Uh, the only thing that rivaled love, like, it, for, from, I would say, as long as I can remember, as I was, I mean, I started ice skating. There's pictures of me with pushing an, uh, a steel chair around the ice when I was a toddler almost. So the only thing that, that, that rivaled my love for, for hockey was when I, uh, it didn't happen until I fucking hit puberty. <laughs> And then it was hockey and, and girls with hockey being top of the list. And then, you know, I just was overtaken by fucking hormones. Um, so 
uh, and I mean that, but like not saying that as a joke. I mean it because that's like in your heart and your soul and how you feel on the inside that you can't help. Like you can't change. You can't pick and choose. That's how I was about about the sport. And alongside parallel to that was obviously your, your my love and infatuation with the local professional hockey team, right? Which was a fucking curse for 36 years. 35. <laughs> a lot of heartbreak. For you. Longer for some other people. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It, some until, you know, they watched it from heaven. Yeah. But so so to my my lifeline to hockey was my father was my old man and i and and i didn't say this at the beginning but when you and i talked like what a better there's no better day than the anniversary you know of his death to record an episode about what happened last summer because it was so fucking intertwined with him and, yeah. and him and i's relationship and you know he played and he was good and he refed like I started refereeing hockey games with them when I was ten years old. You ref the kids younger, and you get paid quite a bit. But every weekend, you know, if I wasn't at practice, I was up first thing in the morning, and we were driving to whatever ice rink to do ref a three-game set, and then go into the next ice rink because I had a game or a practice, and and then I would just grew up at ice rinks because my old man would ref all across the region. Um, he was one of the, at the time, uh, more talented refs. Uh, and I say that not in the way that he called games because, you know, his motto was he, you know, he didn't call a penalty until he checked the fucking autopsy. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, this every once in a while you could catch him uh, looking up in the stands and spotting a good-looking blonde and, and missing a good game behind him, they'd say. Hey, stripes, you know. <laughs> one, time at, one time at Granite City Ice Rink, a guy threw a fucking hot dog at him because he was calling such a shitty game. It hit him in the helmet, went down his shirt, his shirt, his sweater, his referee sweater. Mustard got all over his fucking referee sweater. He picked the hot dog off the ice, took a bite out of it, threw it in the crowd. Crowd went wild. <laughs> fucking amazing. <laughs> I mean it. He used to call himself Tommy Orr after Bobby Orr, which is kind of ironic, seeing that the curse of Bobby Orr, if you will, was broken last summer. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I got, I could I just talk on and on about stories about my old man and, and ice hockey, and it was our bonding. And, and I, like at five and six years old, would hang out in penalty boxes all across the um, city of St. Louis because he would be reffing a three game set, and I would just go with him to the rink because I always wanted to be around him and always wanted to be around ice hockey. I learned how to say fuck at such a young age because of this, um, I, and I, I hold that near and dear to my heart. Um, <laughs> I do. Fuck, man. <laughs> if you can't tell, um, yeah. my old man, his 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 hockey teammates that are still with us today, you know, they're all. He, my dad died young. He was fifty four when he died, mm. and you know that puts his buddies, you know, sixty two. They're all healthy as a horse and playing golf, and I still stay in touch with these guys all the time. Great fucking guys. Uh, that they call that the Flyers was their name. They used to play at a a bowling alley over in the Illinois side of the river. Used to be a fucking ice rink, <laughs> St. Clair Bowling Alley. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah, I didn't know that. Used to be called La Chateau. Um, I mean, he used to play in 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 dirty ass leagues too, where 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 this guy used to carry a lead pipe around in his hockey pants so he could fucking take it out and and swing it at somebody. I mean, it, just some. <laughs> 
some beautiful, beautiful men these guys were. <laughs> so, so with that, growing up in these ice rinks, I just got more just obsessed with the game. And and I t- I was a I was a pretty decent hockey player. I had a good hockey since I was never the fastest or the biggest, but I was a. Uh, I was a very smart hockey player on the ice. I had a temper, so sometimes I would let that get take control of me. But I was a very good um, offensive presence. Uh, like my father, I wasn't known to be the best defensive forward, um, although I could kill penalties. I, I and then I um, often would play the power play or excuse me play the point position on the power plays to help kind of quarterback a power play but um yeah I wasn't going pro um I I I had some success in in some upper uh level leagues a little bit uh played some junior hockey for um a pretty shitty hockey team but but boy what a bunch of fucking misfits we were um got into a lot of trouble but had you know just you know, in high school, living on a, a charter bus, playing teams from Tulsa to New Jersey, um, and just every game is a bit of a bloodbath. It's just shitty junior hockey, but um, it is what it is. And and I always had a an eye for coaching, so I coached, and it just was a part of my life. And and re- rewinding back to when I was a kid. Growing up in these locker rooms, my 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 father, um, when I said earlier how he was a talented ref, like they would, he would get the call to not referee the Blues games at the old barn uh, in St. Louis, but he would referee their their training camps. Um, mm-hmm. When I was very young, they were at Brentwood, and then they at Brentwood Ice Rink in St. Louis, and then they at one point moved to Chesterfield Ice Rink. Um, before they built that fucking mall out out at the mills, and yeah. they finally have since moved from there. But, but when I was a kid, I mean, I was, I had to be five, six years old, and I would be in the locker rooms with the locker room with my father, and and meeting all these fucking heroes of mine. Um, Peter Zezel to this day is my favorite hockey player of all time, besides Tom Bondo. God rest Peter Zezel's soul. He passed away, I think, ten years ago. Is maybe a little long, but. Uh, rare blood disease up in Toronto, but he was my favorite. Great fucking centerman. Could win any face-off when I was a kid. Herbie Raglan was my favorite fighter as a kid. <laughs> he was a little guy who could just scrap anybody. I mean, he played for the Blues for like one or two years. You know, everybody loved Twist and Chase. Yeah. My old man break used to break these guys' fights up, um, and I was a little fucking kid watching this. This was the coolest thing in the world. Uh, one time, uh, fucking Brett Hall hit him in the ass cheek with a slap shot, and he would. My old man walked around and mooned to everybody for two weeks to show this bruise off. He, I mean, showed he, every, he showed the principal of my school his ass cheek. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, it, it's just it's how I grew up, and I mean, uh, one of the training camps I was like, a, I think I was a freshman in high school, and we went and we're watching at this point, you know, playing the game. Yeah, you want to see the superstars. Um, but you want to see the the young kids up and coming. The I mean, Barrett Jackman was a, a rookie that one year, and you know he a lot of talk about him. He ended up winning the rookie of the year. But one year, um, my old man was refing uh, the Blues training camps, and 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 Al McKinnis, fucking Hall of Famer, 
Yeah. Uh, huge presence in St. Louis ice hockey still. And um, one of the guys that's pioneered and led a charge and why youth hockey and why St. Louis has turned into a hotbed because of these guys, these alumni association, and, and, and I'll tie some other shit in, in a minute, but he came off the ice fucking madder than a hornet at, at at my old man because my old man, he according to Al, missed a fucking offsides, okay? This is fucking training camp. This guy is one of the highest played, paid players in the league and one of the best players in the league, Hall of fucking fame defenseman. Screaming at him at training camp in the summer, and my old man looked at him and said, "Hey, Al, baby, you're gonna make the fucking team. Settle down." <laughs> <laughs> and Joel Quinville was coaching at the time, was fucking so pissed at McKinnis for, I mean, going nuts. He's like, "Oh, get the fuck in the locker room. This is, it's a fucking offsides in a <laughs> practice game." And, and, and my old man had the the whole locker room was laughing their ass off when he said that. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, to see these guys. You know, as your your heroes as a kid is 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 incredible. Um, another thing that that my old man did was ref the games before the Blues games at the arena, before they moved to the the Keel Center or um, now the Enterprise Arena, the same building. But yeah. up until '94, they played at the old Checker Dome, the old barn, yep. um, right there off Highway Fardy, and. Uh, you know, there's an Emo's Pizza right there, like Hampton and Oakland, and that Emo's Pizza is a pretty fucking special place to me because I used to go with my old man. He'd pick me up from school uh, right after lunch, and we'd go to the barn. He, I'd hang out in the locker room. He would get dressed and and then referee a uh, a, a practice game, and a lot of times they were um, we had back then really good men's league teams. Uh, that played out of Brentwood that, I mean, these guys were good fucking hockey players, you know, not going pro. They beat the shit out of each other, but they were good hockey players. I, I am still friends with a couple of the guys that played in this league, a team called, they called themselves Movie Shop. That was their sponsor. But these guys were good fucking hockey players, and Tom would ref their games. And I would just sit in the penalty box with uh, with one of the old trainers named Dwayne um, and, and Uncle Tom Calhoun, we call him. He's still the PA guy who's a family friend. Um and I just get goosebumps going down this memory lane, man. And and and, and Tom would ref these games, um, and as payment for those games, you get him and I. We he we get free tickets to the games, <laughs> and we'd go to all the Blues games right at the old barn. Well, I, I believe I was ten, and and I had known this, and 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 the reason I'm telling this story is because you know you're a kid, and and I Jeff, I don't know the the inner workings of the relationship between you. And, and your father, but um, a lot of people like my. You, when you're a kid, you you idolize people, mm-hmm. uh, you, whether they're fucking superheroes or sports figures or whoever. You know, it's different usually for everybody. But when I, the day I realized that that the ice hockey players that I loved. And wanted to be and played and pretended to be my, you know, childhood on the ice were not my idols that my father was, was a, uh, an encounter, um, an experience I had with the greatest hockey player of all time, uh, Wayne Gretzky. And it was hmm. a positive experience. It wasn't like Wayne was an asshole. Yeah. He, um, but I was 10 and, and where the, the locker room that the referees got dressed at, 
for those pregames at the old barn were were back in the fucking bowels of 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 the arena, but they were right by the visiting team's locker room. And I had gone to a hundred of these games over like two, like four, three years since I was a kid, as far as I can remember from like six to 10, um, 10 or 11. I was when they tore the building down and, and went to the Scott trade or Savas or Kielsen or whatever the fuck you want to call it. And it was that system changed. They didn't have the pregame, um, referee, like games that needed, you know, we kid around and, and, you know, chirp my old man and call him a Renarath. They didn't need those guys. <laughs> so, so this experience kind of ended when the the old barn ended. But I, it was one of the last years leading up to the moving into the new building. And I had known that all these guys from visiting teams, the Steve Eisenmans of the world, the fucking Jeremy Ronix, the um, the you know the Gretzkys, obviously the fucking Mark Messiers, Yari Curry's, Luke Robitaille, all these fucking guys that I hated because they weren't on the Blues, but I you know everybody wanted to be them and collect their hockey cards. Were right next to the locker room that I hung out in because it was my safe place. If I wasn't in the penalty box, I'd hang out in the locker room. Yeah. Um, and no parental supervision. I mean, I was roaming this fucking stadium as as this this aged child, right? Yeah. And uh, I was all my best behavior, and I knew I ended up knowing all the guys. Uh, that worked at the, like I said, Dwayne and then Uncle Tom Calhoun. So they kind of kept an eye on me, but you know, we were all good. I, I was used to growing up in an ice rink while my dad was on the ice and I had free reign. But he told me, he goes, Chris, he goes, this might be the last time that the LA Kings come to town when I am refing a game before them and they're going to, and who knows what they're going to do that, if we're going to even be able to do this when they move to the new stadium. He goes, so what you have to do is get all your Gretzky cards and take them with you. And you have to fuck what I never always wanted to watch him ref. I didn't want to leave. I wanted to watch the game. I wanted to watch him ref. But he was like, you have to go camp out by their locker room because right around the second period of the game I'm refing is when their bus gets here and they all walk right past our locker room and you're going to get to meet Wayne Gretzky. Terrified, right? I was fucking terrified. And... I did it. I got my stuff. I went and sat in the penalty box for the first period. And at the second period break, um, Dwayne and Uncle Tom Calhoun, I call him Uncle Tom, um, said, all right, you need to go. You need to go do this. So I went and I stood there and there was one other guy. I don't know who he was, but we were both standing there. And here comes that, that LA Kings team who was just off a this recently off a of Stanley Cup final with Kelly Rudy as their goalie at fucking cheap uh, cheap skate artist Marty McSorley. God bless him. Um, <laughs> he's still alive, I think, but he was yeah, he was fucking dirty. Uh, Luke <laughs> Robitaille, Yari Curry, probably on this team. I mean, I could a lot of great Kings players, and they just walked past me. I could give a fuck. I was looking for one man, and it was Wayne Gretzky, and he walked up to me, and I was just shaking like a leaf on a tree, brother, and. Uh, Mr. Mr. Gretzky, can you, you sign it? And he patted me on the head, and he goes to sign my card, and my pen runs out. <laughs> Fucking pen runs out. Fear not. The guy next to me is like, here's, here, here's, here, Junior, here, take take this pen. And Gretzky finished signing the rest of my stuff and, and chit-chatted with me. And I took those I took those items he had signed, and I went, and I sat in my dad's locker room, and and didn't fucking move until he got back to the, until that game had ended and he came back to the locker room, and he goes, "Did you meet him?" 
And I did, but I just ran up and gave him the biggest hug. And it was that moment. And I wrote a college fucking paper about this. One of my only, well, I used to get A papers. I was a good writer, but I don't get, didn't get A's all the time. I got a fucking A on this paper <laughs> and, and they should have fucking framed it because I wrote about how that was the moment that I knew who my real life hero was and my yeah. idol was. And it was my old man. And it wasn't Wayne Gretzky. Because when that pin ran out, I thought I was done. I was like, oh, it's, he's not going to do anything. And he did. He's a great guy. Yeah. And I've met him a couple times since then. But, but laying that foundation, man, uh, is, is, uh, and I, I'm missing so many good fucking hockey stories. I could do a hockey podcast with some of the old boys and you'd love it. We'd laugh yeah. our ass off. We'd tell some old, uh, Horror stories and horror stories. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, something about being a hockey player. I don't know. Um, we're, we're very nice guys, but uh, I wouldn't let my uh, younger sister go near. <laughs> uh, no fucking way. And uh, I had a cousin one time joking around because we, you know, our family's Heart Foundation, the Ali Hinkle Heart Foundation, has uh, a lot of the blues players help participate in it and and raise money and they're they're awesome guys for it it's a hockey hockey players are generally we fucking battle those guys those guys who made it to the show have have survived a lot of shit and you know left homes and lived in billet billet families in canada to at 15 years old you know and they're not the superstars at our high school like um other athletes because it's just you gotta you gotta go and right you end up. You can be fucking traded from city to city, and within these leagues, it's crazy. So, once you get there, there's a lot of humility, and they they big time on giving back. But at one of the events, I think my cousin uh, Jen was trying to like, hey Brooke, you should go after Robert Bertuzzo, the fucking defenseman for the Blues. I'm like, there's no fucking way that I'm let my little sister go anywhere near one of these fucking assholes. <laughs> They're, they, they'll open the door for your your mother. They'll help your grandmother with their groceries. They're the nicest guys in the world, but don't let them fucking near, um, yeah, your you know, your girlfriend, your wife, or your your baby sister. Anyway, um, so now that I've laid all that and 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 given a sense of the importance, and I probably did a piss poor job at it, but I'm I'm doing the best I can with what I got here. Um. And let me know if you guys ever want to have a hockey podcast show or, or something. We could we could do it. I mean, what the fuck else we got to do during COVID? I mean, we got yeah. time. Right? <laughs> um. So so with that, be, being a being a Blues fan, um, year after year they fucking blow it. They um, get fucked. Era. Uh, I mean, I remember in 1996 the Steve Eiserman goal over Casey's shoulder. Um, I mean, every guy I know that's my age. We were in fifth or sixth grade, balled our fucking eyes out like it was the end of the world when that happened. We had just gotten Wayne Gretzky on our fucking hockey team, Jeff, and um, I don't know. We wouldn't have probably made it past the next round anyway, but but boy, was that a uh, that was I, I still have a hard time talking about that fucking shot. Um, oh, I think they say Gretzky kind of you know, he misplayed something in the neutral zone, but Murray Barron was maybe screening Johnny Casey. John Casey stood on his fucking head that series. It was the year Grant Fuhrer got hurt. Uh, Pronger destroyed a, uh, Nick Kiprios into 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 Fuhrer uh, in the first round and tore Fuhrer's leg off. And, and John Casey came up, played pretty good, 
the first game against Detroit in that series, he got just shelled. I think we lost like eight to one, and we lost <laughs> the second game. And then, but then he got his shit together, and we ended up making a series out of it. Lost in seven, but but it's just countless heartbreaks. The Blues. It's I mean the Cubs of fucking hockey, and um, yeah. And, and as life progressed after going through a lot of tragic shit, um, really, you know, loss of my old man and and what that did, watching Blues games and watching, uh, I hadn't been on the ice since he died. Um, I, I just couldn't uh, bring myself to lace him up again, um, whether it was to even go to a fucking public skate. Like, mm. and watching Blues games was always a uh, heavy experience. It, it was different. I mean, I grew up at, these rinks, we went to a fuckload of games. My old man did a ton of business taking, you know, customers and shit to Blues games. And um, it just, it was my my way of life. And then when he died, all those lights went on and I couldn't, couldn't, I got back up and, and went to games and, and watched games on TV, but nothing was ever the same. Um, it was heavy. Um, I just missed the fuck out of him, man. And... And as some of my friends will attest to, um, I get pretty fucking intense watching watching blues hockey games. Not like the psycho fan that um dumb fuck that always yells shoot from the rafters. Um <laughs> I I can watch the game pretty in- intensely. I don't get overly emotional. Um but a lot of you know, some people are like, yeah, we'll go to the game with Pondoff or we don't you know, I don't want to I don't want to sit and watch a game with Pondoff because he's fucking, you know, I, it, it just, I get pretty into it. And, um, I start kind of, you know, I coach, so you start, you know, you just know the game and, and that's what it turned into. And then playoff hockey, when the blues made the playoffs, um, growing up, it was an every year thing. They were on a fucking 20 plus year streak of making the playoffs. It was, and they went through some rough times in the, uh, early to middle two thousands, I should say. Um, and then they, they started getting their, your shit back together after Tom died. And then, uh, with the, some ownership changes and, and front office leadership. But, um, when this last year's run had started, I mean, uh, you, it's playoff hockey, it's appointment television. If I'm not going to into the rink, I'm, uh, sitting in my chair and, um, not a whole lot of fun to be around to be honest and you can ask ashley that uh <laughs> it's her this this year was a was quite an experience for her um but something happened after the winnipeg start in the first round um we stole the first two in winnipeg um we went i remember going down to tunica right before game two for a buddy's bachelor party um and we stopped i uh the place was called the Pink Pussy or the Pink Pony or something. A little titty joined in. Uh, I don't know if Ashley knows that, but yeah, we did. They stopped there. I stood. I sat in the car because it's against my morals. Yes. Um, but we, you know, we're watching playoff hockey there, and leading up to the start of the playoffs, this kid decided to to take over our fucking net, and and that's really been what we've been missing was a a. a when we had the team, a clutch goaltender, or when we 
it was years that we didn't have the team, but had a great goaltender, and that only gets you so far. But something about what this kid Jordan Bennington started doing, man, I was like, I had this fucking feeling that this is this might be the kid that catches this lightning in the bottle, and. <laughs> Something about him, he, he screams fucking sociopath. Like, this guy's got to, this kid has to have a trail of fucking bodies uh, buried in Canada because he's got to be a fucking serial killer. Nothing phases this cocksucker. He's, uh, I love him to death. I mean, I, 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 this kid is a fucking ice cold, man. And, uh, the scary thing is Brooks is now in love with him, but, uh, um, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, but I've met him outside of this. Uh, of him playing hockey, he's a great guy, like they all are. But he, um, I, I just fucking sensed something, man. And I wasn't the only one. And, and night after night, he would make the saves that needed to be made, the saves that we've seen not be made for years. That would be a fucking death blow to this hockey team and their playoff chances. Hmm. We're used to it. We've seen that movie. So we beat Winnipeg. All right, and. Now here comes Dallas. We're in the second round. The Blues are uh, notorious for making it to the second round. First round, second round exit every summer. <laughs> so the Dallas series starts getting physical and um, good series. A lot of flopping around by a couple of defensemen, but uh, but all is good. And 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 Game Seven comes upon us. And um, one of my close friends, who I should have him uh, sponsor this fucking show, actually today. Um, his name is Matt Offenberg, and he um, is like a little brother. I love him. He um, he is in the car business and and um, has a dealerships over in Illinois. That's where I bought my and, car. Yeah, there you go. And I always told him you should say, "Don't drink and drive. Buy a Hyundai." Like that, Matt. Off- <laughs> what is that a good slogan for some sponsorship here? <laughs> We'll have yes. to email him that clip. We'll have to email him that clip. Um, but Matt's a season ticket holder has been forever, and he's always uh, he went to grade. I went to grade school with him, went to high school with him, and we went to the U of I together. And uh, he's him and I have always bonded. He's always been a student of the game of ice hockey. He's um, loved it. Yeah, I don't think he played much of it, but he's he's loved the game. He grew up just like I. I did with all the heartbreak, right? Mm-hmm. Going to games and, and really studying the game. The kid could actually coach a hockey team. Um, and just with the knowledge that he has of the game. And, and he he knew my old man, and he knew our story deeply. And um, and he's all, you know, him and I have just always been, been super close. And, and Matt would call, he'd say, hey, I got a, I got a ticket. You come down to the rink. I go. Well, I am now. You know, um, because I would either go with him or sit on my chair and 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 need to watch every second and just be glued and and and, and deal with my anxiety um, the way I do now um, instead of drinking. You know, and fucking slabbing peanut butter on a fucking you know ice cream shake or something, just <laughs> eating my my nerves. So, so game seven, Dallas second second round. He he texts me and he's like, "Hey, I got I got seats actually down in the corner. Why don't you go? Um, and you, it's either you go to the rink or you watch it in my chair." So I went to the rink that night, and we just dominated the hockey game. I, uh, but we weren't dominating the scoreboard. It was um, it was a fucking tie game, I believe. It, it, 
it was it ended up tied right we went to overtime and we were out shooting Dallas two two to one at least I believe if memory serves correct without uh pulling up the box score and we had all the opportunities in the world and the other goaltender a St. Louis kid um fucking stood on his head and, and and I looked at my buddy that went to the game with me that night and I was like this is it this is what happens this is we all knew it everybody in that fucking stadium was waiting for that shoot a drop to dominate the game we get a bad bounce blues are done um game over season over nice try again bye bye and and sure as shit it happens they fucking wrap around uh, their captain i believe jamie ben for the stars i fucking swore i mean it was in if you look at the highlight it all, i mean it, it doesn't get any closer and i thought that was it backs broken we're going home crying and I swear that my fucking my old man wasn't known to play any fucking defense, but I'm telling you, there was he was he had a hand in that puck, not crossing that goal line, <laughs> and and sure as shit, a couple a uh, couple minutes later, fucking another local kid, Pat Maroon, everybody knows the story, yeah. wins the motherfucker in overtime, and we go fucking ape shit, and I was a kid again, man, I was a fucking kid again, jumping up and down, hugging fucking strangers. Um, Hugging fucking hookers with lopsided titties. I was just doing, you know, it, we screaming, we did it, we did it, because that was the hump we needed to get over. Not just getting to the third round. We needed to survive a fucking uh, a game that we were dominating, but a bad bounce was going to kill us. We needed mm -hmm. to get that off our fucking backs, and that happened. And here comes the third round, the, the, the San Jose Sharks, and we... I, I didn't doubt for a fucking second we were going to beat those bitches. And, boy, did they turn into bitches with the hand pass shit. The, Pete DeBoer, their coach, cried about it after the game. Um, their, their superstar defenseman is, is a dirtbag. Uh, Joe Thornton's a dirtbag. God bless these guys are hockey players. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, they, we after that hand pass game, they didn't. the fucking Blues were done with those bitches. And, and, and it was happening. We were going to go to the Stanley Cup Finals. Well, well, game six, Matt calls it. Matt's, you're coming to the rink. And Matt has told me over the years, he's like, Chris, I, I, I spend this fucking money on these tickets, and I'm a glutton for punishment. If we get to the to the all-important holy grail of this shit, you're fucking coming. Um, you're bringing Tommy P with you. We need all the help we can get. Mm. So game six against the Sharks, he calls, and... Uh, I, I took Ashley downtown because it was the big, it was a huge party, and the city was just captivated. Um, uh, a St. Louis Cardinal city was captivated, and 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 with St. Louis Blues fans, and all in the one, all the same people, and um, it was just fucking magical. We we dominate Game Six, and and we win the the. The, the Clarence Campbell Trophy, and we win the Western Conference, and we're going to the Stanley Cup. Had happened since before I was born in the late '60s, right? <laughs> and we sat in that fucking box that Matt has, and just soaked it in, man. And I I would go to these playoff games almost wearing the same outfit that I had. <laughs> uh, this fucking shirt, I, w I would wear my my nice you know sport coat. We were in a suite. You want to class it up a little bit. And um, <laughs> I would take pictures of my old man. And 
I would just hold them up. I would look at them. I would just remember where it all started and and, and where it all was. What? I mean, it's literally like a movie, and you just... They threw the flashback scene in the movie where you just... Like, your whole life. And it... Fucking, man. It's just... And that's what I mean when I say it was spiritual as fuck. Yeah. And... And people would... uh, I would run into people that, that I grew up playing hockey with, and we would just connect and fucking hug each other, and it's like we didn't miss a day. There's something about the kids you grew up playing ice hockey with. It's like a... Uh, you, you guys are bonded forever. Like, I love these motherfuckers forever and um, yeah. would do anything for them uh, besides let them near my sister, like I said. <laughs> but uh, but once we won that Shark Series, now it's now it's Stanley Cup time, and here come the, uh, the fucking Boston Bruins. And it's not just that it's Boston, but being Boston was a big deal because... My old man's favorite hockey player growing up was Bobby Orr, the legendary defenseman for Boston, who um, you know, the top five greatest hockey players of all time easily. Uh, bad knees. Without the bad knees, he could have rivaled the top two probably, so or the top three. But he – so – and everybody knows about the picture of Noel Picard tripping Bobby Orr. Bobby Orr went in the game winner in, uh, I think, game four of a Stanley Cup final against the Blues in – believe it was in st louis um i got the picture framed i got it for my father for a father's day when i was a kid and framed i still have it it's in my office actually (laughs) my old man um as a child had a poster of bobby orr in his bedroom as a child and somehow my mom got her hands on it when he after he passed away and she framed it for me so it's in my work office and this fucking thing jeff has like you could see that he would just taped it on his wall. There's still like it's it's like yellow faded pieces of scotch tape hanging on it, and she got it all framed nice. But she, you know that just adds character to yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. So he, for being Boston, man, it's all adds to the fucking goosebumps of this shit. And um, in game one we lose, um, but it was a fir- you know it was, we we could have won that motherfucker and. Uh, it, the games that I watched at home um, it was me and my wife and Charlie and there's a great picture of of Charlie and I spending a moment together during this that I'll treasure for the rest of my fucking life and um, I hope he does too it was I think it was after game because game two we won in overtime you know Charlie was loving this this shit because he would stay up you know putting him to bed during the Stanley Cup finals or (laughs) even the Western Conference finals but we would watch it in my living room and it would be my sister Brooke uh, my mother um, and then me and Ashley and Charlie and and we would just um, they they had fun I I wouldn't call it fun um it was magical and spiritual, but I, I in the moment I was a uh, a fucking pacing, anxious fucking wreck, and God, I, I, it it and that's what it turns into. So now we fast forward to Game Three. Um, that's at home, first Stanley Cup game in St. Louis, and I said we. Shit. Yeah, so game, <clears throat> game three we lose. 
And then we go to game four. We win game four. First win. That's a picture I got of Charlie um, holding Charlie up. It's first, we win the Stanley, uh, Stanley Cup final game at home ice. I got Charlie, Brooke had taken a picture. I watched it from home. Holding them up as they were, you know, the buzzer was going off, and it's a great fucking picture. I'll share it with the, with the, with the episode. Um, yeah, we actually go to Boston in Game Five and win that motherfucker, and that's the game where Noel Chari um, from Boston pretends he's playing fucking midfield for the Tottenham Hotspur and does a bicycle <laughs> kick, acting like he got tripped. Um, over embellished, which is why he didn't get the call, and I think Perron scores and. Um, it was crazy. So now we're coming back home for game six. We're up three games to two and going to win the Stanley Cup, right? Yep. Um, Matt, you know, Matt calls, come down to the rink. So we go down to the rink and uh, get there early, and it's going to happen, and you're just feeling it. You're at the, 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 the parties and shit outside are, are – I don't even notice them almost because I'm so – I want to go into this rink. I want to get the, you know, the the boys to get the business done on the ice and, and take this city and blow this fucking place up, right? Uh, in a good way. And and sure as shit, we sit down, and it and it didn't take very long, but uh, Boston comes out of the gate firing, and they fucking kick our ass in game six. <laughs> Game's over. We're sitting at the bar um, in this club. And uh, everybody's literally like they just got done burying their dog or, or leaving a funeral home. And and Matt, my buddy, does a shot of fireball. That's the, the, all the rave now. <laughs> and he looks at me, and, and he's fucking around on his phone. I go, what are you doing? Because we were letting the traffic die down. We just, you know, it could be the last time we see the ice this season. We're going to Game 7 in Boston um, like, the you know, the Blues are. And Matt's on his phone, and he goes, he goes, I just put a flyer out. If if we get tickets, if if we can get tickets and to Game 7 in Boston, you're fucking coming with me. And I'm like, okay, Matt, you just did a shot of fireball. Like, yeah. How are you going to get tickets to that game? You know, whatever. So, so I finally get home that night, and I wake Ashley up, and I go, she's kidding around with her. She's half asleep. I go, there's a small chance that I'm going to Boston on Wednesday. Um, and, uh, she goes, okay, okay. And goes to bed. Well, fast forward the next day, Monday night, um, after work, we're sitting in our living room and later that night, I get a text from Matt saying, what's your date of birth? I'm like, wait a second. I look at Ashley and I go, are you fucking kidding me? And she goes, what? I go, nothing. I go, I replied and he goes, he goes, okay, I'm 95% sure we're in. I'll let you know by tomorrow morning, and and I think we're I think we're in. And, and that's what his text said. And I'm like, oh fuck, there's no way I'm going to sleep now. Like, yeah, <laughs> holy shit, what are you talking about? And um, I still don't, I I still can't fathom it because this stuff doesn't happen to me. I'm not, I don't know what's going on, right? I'm like, yeah. fine. I go, yeah, I'll. I mean, I if just to get a ticket and get fly to Boston and go to this game, I I'd clean out my bank account and do it. I just, you know, it's not like everybody can do that. That's right. sold the fuck out, and you're not going to Boston for Game Seven. Just that's not what you know. I don't people like me don't do that. Um, 
and not Matt doesn't do shit like this either. Like, but I, I get a text next morning at nine thirty a.m. and he goes, "We're he goes confirmed. We're in. I'll have your flight itinerary soon." And I'm like, "Holy shit! Like flight itinerary? What the fuck?" <laughs> and I get a at noon. I get I get my flight itinerary on Tuesday for he goes for next tomorrow's flight. <laughs> And it's not at Lambert. It's at the airport in Cahokia, where oh. I used to play fucking hockey. At. Yeah. Um, it's the it's where the it's where the fucking stars fly out of, not the Dallas Stars. Like, it, if there's a star coming to St. Louis, that's where they fly out of on a <sighs> private jets. They call them PJs and shit. Like, yeah. What? So, <laughs> so I mean. Ashley's ecstatic for me. My mom's crying. They're like, she's like, um, we're never buying a car from anywhere else besides Matt Offenberg. I they just are loving them. <laughs> we got a statue built of them. I think I promised a night uh, with Ashley to Matt for this and uh, and na- and naming rights to my uh, you know my firstborn shit like that. So yeah. whatever he wants, you can have it, Matt, if you're listening. Um, and you're the unofficial sponsor of uh, Pond of Synonymous episode 22 and possibly <laughs> beyond. But. <laughs> I, I get this itinerary and sure as shit I, I it says to to arrive at this <laughs> airport terminal at at you know ten thirty and uh, the next morning so uh, so Wednesday morning I uh, so now I don't sleep Monday night when he teed it up that we might actually be doing this Tuesday night because now I gotta. I'm going to fucking Boston for game fucking seven of the Stanley Cup final. The St. Louis Blues are in yeah. on Wednesday. So I get to the airport on on Wednesday, and uh, I walk up to this airport, and they got Blues flags hanging up, and they're playing fucking Gloria. And and I walk in, and I, I don't know. I still don't know what to expect, Jeff. And I walk into this little terminal, and it's not like fucking Terminal 2, East Terminal, Southwest <laughs> shit at Lambert. It's like... Yeah a butler walking up to you and asking you if you want your fucking coffee French pressed or, you know, or, or, or if you would like him to ground the beans for you manually. And I'm like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> so, so there's these two tables uh, right in the middle of like just this foyer. And there was uh, a flight rot. I didn't realize what it was, but there was two pieces of paper and they had, it was a, the, this flight roster and it had, everybody's names on it in alphabetical order. And I was like, okay, well, I saw somebody looking at it. I'll look at it, make sure Pondoff's on there because I'm sure it's not. I'm not supposed to be here right now. Right. Well, as I'm looking down the, the, the line to, to the, to the P's, I, I get to, to, to Pondoff and it's there. And then right underneath it's Pronger, like Chris Pronger. <laughs> Another fucking Hall of Fame defenseman, Blues alumni, and he's on this flight, and he doesn't even, he's fucking working for a different hockey team, a professional hockey team. And I'm like, oh shit. So I go back to the A's, and I start seeing all the players' last names, and, and it's, and, and I wasn't supposed to be looking at this. I, I didn't know, but somebody finally came up and said, oh, I need those, and then took them. But there was like, Three Tarasinkos. It was his wife and kids, and and a, bu- and, and a couple O'Reillys and Bowmeisters. I mean, all this. I'm like, holy fuck! Wow, this can't be the same plane, right? So, I finally get done with that and pick my jaw up, and I'm kind of like, what is going on here? And in walks fucking Hall, Brett Hall. Um, yes, he was as drunk as he looked on TV. <laughs> He's got a rocks glass full of brown 
bourbon, whatever the fuck, um, at 10.30 in the morning, okay? <laughs> oh, my. Hey, airport rules are different rules. Uh, this is not, yeah. So, <laughs> so the the flight staff comes into the terminal, and they're like, okay, your guys' plane's ready, and we all walk out on this airport like I, like they used to do. I mean, remember that scene in Top Gun where they're we're walking off of an airplane? Like, uh, like, I never walked on a runway before. I mean, I guess they used to do that back in the fucking 70s, where you'd walk to the staircase yeah. and up into the plane. Like, no shit, I'm doing that, and they're handing us, like, boxed lunches that are catered professionally. And we go in, and and you you get on this plane, and in the front couple rows, like you see all these the Tarasenkos. There's name. There's Blues letterhead, Stanley Cup letterhead with the Blues logo, and then your name on it. And I was just, I'm like, okay, they got to have me uh, down and stowaway or something. I'm down by the, sh- you know, by the fuck it, or in the shitter. There's no way. Right. Well, sure as shit, my seat comes up, and it's right fucking by Keith Kachucks and and Hollies and Prongers. Um. And 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 we're on the play with the players' wives who were uh, incredible. They're they are not the uh, ugliest women in the world, if you know what I'm getting <laughs> right. at. Um, very kind. Uh, one of the funniest girls I've I've met, and she's a great Twitter follow. Is uh, Tyler Bozak's wife Molly. Um, we we were bullshitting on it. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly's wife uh, Dana is a, a, incredible, and um, I'm not Ashley. I. I at my, just listen, Ashley's fucking in love with with him, okay? And I am in love with his wife. All right. <laughs> Not anyway, getting a little creepy. But they are <clears throat> the kindest people, and we're all on this plane. And sure and shit, we're going to fucking Boston, and we're 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 flying to Boston for Game Seven. Um, but it's like ten thirty. The flight takes off at twelve. We get to Boston about, and we're on a flight with guys that I did grow up. I you know. Yeah. Watching play hockey. Um, where are the guys on the Blues now? The kids, they're 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 younger than me. They're kids, great athletes. I'm big fans of them all, but it's different. Like you know, I mean, I for I sure. want Char- I want Charlie to to love these guys and them to sign shit for Charlie one day. But I'm it's the fucking what's on the front of the sweater, right? The blue note that yep. that uh, we're captivated by, and and just the the phenomenon that is that is Blues hockey, and then <clears throat> it. We 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 land in Boston um, at a pri- another private airport, not uh, I think not John A. Logan or or whatever the the, the big airport is in Boston, but it, it, they they like one of the owners of the Blues, not Tom Stillman, but somebody of the ownership group is kind of directing everybody. So before we landed, he was like, "Okay, on your letterhead has a number one through four, and there's four buses, so you'll get on your bus." Um, is 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 your buddy on this? Flight with yeah, you? yeah, okay, yeah. So it's me and Matt. Just and then curious. Two, two, yes, yeah, absolutely. So me and Matt, because I'm, I'm, I'm clinging to Matt like, uh, like stink on fucking shit here because I don't like, like, yeah, I don't want them to like look at me and be like, how did this bum get on this flight? Where did they throw me, throw me out like over Indiana somewhere? You know, like just right. open the door and say, see you later, <laughs> loser. <laughs> so we get to, we get to, to Boston and. We all follow the instructions and we walk off again on a on a on a runway with the big loud plane jets like winding down and blowing my long wavy hair. I'm just kidding, I don't have any hair. <laughs> um and I walk on to bus number four. Obviously I'm on bus number four, not one, two, or three. We're on bus number four. We shouldn't be here, okay? And I get on that bus and I walk back to the the back two rows are taken. And I so I sit in the third to the last row, and the back two rows are taken by Holly Pronger, 
Barrett Jackman, fucking Keith Kachuk, uh, and Bobby fucking Plager. And these wow. are my, I mean, so and so then we, we load up, we 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 shoot the shit the whole way back. There we're all telling hockey stories. I tell a Chris Pronger story. Uh, I tell him the story that when my old man was ref in his training camps in Chesterfield, Terry Yake, a Blues forward came out in the hallway and he had ice duct taped around his entire torso hmm. like 6 inches of ice and <laughs> and and a reporter i think for like channel 5 or channel 4 was like hey terry mind give a quick interview what happened what happened to your ribs and terry Hicks said why don't you ask the fucking captain i guess pronger fucking raked him pretty good in front of the net <laughs> so i told chris pronger that story and he's laughing his ass off and I told Holly about my old man mooning everybody from one of his fucking shots, and he said, "Yeah, yeah, you, you tell your your fat ass old man should have got the fuck out of the way. I was trying to clear the puck, like <laughs> just all chirping, but all a great time. Like you're one of the guys. I mean, we yeah. speak their language, we played hockey, so um, it it was just. I mean, the the day has just been uh, a fucking. I mean, spiritual as fuck day. My old man, and I guess my heart is pulsating. I'm fucking." You know, I don't know if I'm going to fucking cry or come. I'm fucking going nuts, man, and are both. And I um, I just can't, I can't still to this day believe that this shit happened. And I'm not even fucking done yet. And I know that the episode's getting long, but I don't give a fuck because yeah, I'm on a going. fucking roll. I'm on fire. And God damn it, we won game fucking seven in the Stanley Cup Finals in Boston. And I was fucking there. Yes. And oh my God. And, um. So we get we get in these buses and we get down uh, whatever highway the fuck in uh, Boston and we you know we try past Fenway Park huge traffic jam and I guess it's yeah it's Boston right so we're in the bus for forty five minutes before we get to our next destination which happens to be which has forty five minutes of bullshit with these guys I mean at least and and what a fun fun fucking unforgettable bus ride that was yeah so we get we get to the Marriott uh, downtown Boston right across the street from the TD Garden um, the the where the Bruins home rink and and there's a on the first you walk in the Marriott the first floor like the lobby is roped off for a private blues party so which is how it started and I'm like okay they're not gonna let it well yeah sure shit I was I was in it here I am so hanging out with that's what so we we all park there's food we're eating this is about four o'clock in the afternoon puck doesn't drop till like 7 30 Boston time uh probably like eight um I just fucking don't even know what time any of this shit ha- is, actually. Yeah. So I get to, you know, we're all bullshitting and just having, like, I can't believe we're here. I'm in Boston. I have never been to Boston as a uh, cognizant uh, human. I think I was I, I was in Boston as a baby. But I was never in Boston, and I didn't give a fuck about Paul Revere or any of those assholes. <laughs> right. all, I ga- all, I ca- all I cared about was getting to that fucking ice rink sitting in my seat watching the boys do what the fuck they had to do to win this fucking hardware and get out of there with even with all this going on but i start seeing on social media uh two of my fucking longtime teammates from cahokia ice rink one of them lives in fucking toronto the other one lives in like fucking boca raton florida are at a bar outside the td fucking garden going to game seven <laughs> so sh- so sure as shit, I meet up with Chris and fucking Charlie, and we are having the reunion of a lifetime. Um, Chris was one of the best defensemen I defensemen I ever played hockey with. He, um, I think he almost killed a guy in juniors up in Quebec and uh, <laughs> punched out his coach or something. But um, 
great guy. Uh, it was so great connecting with him, and we had the fucking time of our life before the game, just calming our nerves. These guys are getting hammered. I'm fucking, you know, slamming bottled water and club soda, um, having some fun with the Boston folks. Like they were, they weren't so bad. There, there, there was one guy in particular that we ran into that was. Um, he has to be in prison right now. There's no way. I don't think they. I think he had a bracelet, an ankle bracelet on. He was wearing a Celtics jersey. He was like, kept saying that he was related to John Gotti or something. He was, um, he was a real psycho. And uh, but it was entertaining to say the least. But Boston fans in general were were pretty cool. So, so we're we're hanging out at this uh, right outside, and, and it's a huge Stanley Cup party, and, and we're definitely in enemy, ter- enemy territory, and. Uh, to go into the to the garden, um, it's not like you walk off a sidewalk into the front door. You go up this huge staircase. Almost, you, it's almost starts on the second floor, the second mm. story. So as you're going up, I got a video of it. You, 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 we're, we're rising this escalator into the to the garden to to get through security, and they're playing this pump up fucking music for the Bruins, right? Well, yeah. they're pumping me the fuck up too. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Um, good, and and I'll wrap it the whole shit up with why I'm so fucking glad I was sober during all of this mm-hmm. um but it, it, i'll wrap the show up talking about that but i'm i'm i mean i am just covered in goosebumps i the hair i don't even have is standing up on my fucking head and and we're 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 making our ascend into the into the garden for game seven of the stanley cup final and we get through the security we i uh, mean beeline it to my seat don't even look for I, i'm not hungry nothing i don't even give a fuck i just want to yeah. go sit so we get our tickets and we get up to our seat and I guess what happened was the the Bruins ownership group gave the Blues ownership group X amount of tickets and uh, they offered them to their biggest season ticket holders uh, with you know, a God knows the cost and um, included airfare and all this shit. So so basically there but they were not all together um, and there were just clusters of tickets like some of the like Tom Stillman and I think Hollies and the Prongers were in a suite I guess they had one suite for and, and I, for some people like that but I was sitting in a row in the fucking 300 level and it, the, let me tell you something Jeff me and you are bigger guys they don't they're the smallest fucking seats I, I've ever sat in and I, <laughs> I, I you were literally on top of people um at this place, it, it was it, it was nuts the how how they pack them in at, at the garden. But in my row was us four, so me and Matt and two other buddies, um, fucking Maggio, um, and uh, sitting in the row with us was, and, and I always said that the Boston fans, because people ask, were they complete assholes? And, and no, they were actually pretty respectful. Now, I realize after the fact, uh, or during, I was sitting in the same row as fucking C- Coach Berube's wife, Chief's wife, our, wow. our girlfriend. And, and, and boy, I, uh, from what I hear, she don't play. So, like, nobody's going to fuck with what well, uh, Craig Berube's a fucking bad motherfucker. Yeah. Nobody's going to mess with his old lady. And it sounds, I bet she could take care of herself. Like, um, and they all the blues coaching staff's wives wore blue coats with their their names on the back of them, and all the players' wives wore denim coats with their player their husband's name on the back of them or their whoever. So we get to we get seated and we're in a row with 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 the defensive coach Mike Van Ryan and the and and Berube's wife, and all is good and 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 we and I, we score that first goal and the place goes quiet. And then 
Petro at the end of the first scores that second goal. And that's when I knew it. That's when I was like, this fucking shit's going to happen. Yeah. This is going to fucking happen. We're going to do this. And I did not leave my seat. <clears throat> I think during that first intermission, I went, I, said, um, I went out because I was pacing. And, and I was talking with Matt. And then we ran into a, a sportscaster for Channel 2 uh, locally. That was mm-hmm. at the in the in, in the garden, and uh, we bullshit for about five minutes, and then I went back to my seat, and I didn't fucking move until until the end, man. And and I I I I I had brought a picture of my old man and and my my favorite blue sweater as a as a kid, and I didn't wear it; I just carried it around and was fucking going crazy. Yeah. And and I I I hope I'm not putting everybody to sleep with this story, but no. <coughs> The clock, you know, strikes fucking zero, zero, zero. The Blues are the Stanley Cup champions, and and I am just like I said, man, overcome with all this fucking emotion and <clears throat> watching the handshake. I don't know if you're aware of the handshake in a hockey playoff series. These guys, they, it's a it's a customary deal. It's um, legendary. They beat the shit on every playoff series. Ends with the team shaking hands at center ice. And it's one of the greatest traditions in all of sports because the kids, the the, the, the the boys beat the fuck out of each other and try to kill each other for four, five, six, or seven games. But afterwards, they all shake hands and uh, <laughs> they do the handshake and um, and then it's time to, to, to really celebrate and, and, and get the Stanley Cup. First, they bring out the Consmite, the Ryan O'Reilly, the Ryan O'Reilly, and the Consmite trophy goes to the most valuable player of the playoffs. Uh, could have been Bennington. O'Reilly got it. Uh, either one, great. O'Reilly deserved it. He fucking, I think, pointed in like four or five straight. Tied a record with Gretzky, actually, his point streak, <laughs> and I'll get to that. So afterwards, we're I mean, just watching the celebration that um, – no words I say here are going to describe the watching the celebration. There's no better trophy in sports. There's no better celebration than watching a guy skate around with the Stanley Cup. I get teary-eyed watching other teams do it, which I've done for 35 years. So to watch <laughs> these fucking kids do it with a blue note on their fucking sweater, I was all fucking choked up, man. Yeah. And and by the time they did this, we were all down. All the Blues fans in the building and the family and the, and the friends, about 150 of us, and 200 of us maybe were down surrounding the glass. All the Bruins fans had cleared out. Yeah. And we are just, we are just, I mean, hugging the fuck out of each other. Um, it's the ultimate joy and happiness feeling. Like, just what a fucking crazy night. And <clears throat> when we finally clear out of the the garden, we're, we're walking back to the uh, Marriott. And you can tell, like... The streets are lined up with like security gates and stuff because they were anticipating a, a huge party in Boston, right? A big yeah. ass fucking, but it was a ghost town. There's just trash everywhere, Ugh. and somewhere laying on the street sidewalk, there was a 2019 Stanley Cup champion Boston Bruins hat that I guess somebody had printed to sell. Wow. We fucking found it, and my buddy, my buddy Maggio was carrying it around and <coughs> showing it off. So we walked back to the Marriott where. There was this blues party, the same party that we came from, um, and but now like I we texted my buddies like all oh, my kids I saw at the rink that were not really with the flight came to this party and we were I mean Holly was there hammered taking pictures with everybody they were playing <laughs> Gloria Layla Anderson was there um, the yep. little girl that inspired this fucking team so deeply like what an honor it was to meet her and her mother. Um, 
you know, Bobby Plager, the godfather of hockey in St. Louis, and you know, my old man watched him play. Uh, <clears throat> got to tell some good stories with him that I that that I heard from him when I was a little kid, and <laughs> and it's just as a a party till like one thirty two in the morning, and then they say, okay, guys, the buses are here. We're we're going back to the airport. So we get back on our buses and and they start handing out these. I guess they ordered like a hundred large large fucking Boston pizzas, and and start passing them back to the buses. Nobody's eating anything, so we're all slamming this pizza, this Boston shitty pizza, and and Holy <laughs> takes a whole large pie to himself and fucking slams about three fourths of it, and then pretty much passes out on the back, laying on the bench, um, <laughs> just fucking done, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so we get back to the airport on these buses and and and. Now we're all walking to the plane where there, it's probably 2.30 now, uh, Boston time, and there is champagne just being fucking passed back, and, and all the like players' wives are just slamming champagne. All this shit around me, obviously it doesn't bother me. I can be around all this shit, and I'm just, I'm just soaking it in. Uh, sober as a fucking priest on Sunday, and, 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 and just like talking like, like, a, like a fucking... Like, you know, you could you could have probably committed me to a fucking psych ward. I was like talking to my old man and being like, thank you. you I know you saw this and, and and I knew you were here for this. And um, and just looking at his picture and fucking crying like a bitch, man. And mm-hmm. I I just I just it, it, we, nobody slept on the flight. It's about two and a half hour plane uh, a flight in about 20 minutes before we land in St. Back in Cahokia. The owner guy, uh, the owner gets on the microphone and is congratulating everybody. Everybody's singing Gloria, you know, the song. And, uh, and, and he goes, so that when we get, when we land, there'll be buses at the airport waited, ready to take you guys back to the, to this, to this enterprise center. And we're like, what? And they're like, yeah, there's a small reception that every, you all are, everyone's welcome to. And I'm like, no, there's no way. And we're not welcome to this. So yeah. we land, and, and I go, Matt, are, he goes, I talked to Eric, his, I guess, connection there. He's like, yeah, you guys are more, we're, we're going. And I go, oh, all right. So we get on the bus, and we get on a, on a bus that's pretty empty. I, I I think we lost some stragglers, right? There, uh, yeah. Holly was one of them. I didn't see Holly from the the bus back in Boston that took us to the private airport afterwards. Uh, I, 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 I left him on the bus and I don't know if he fucking made it off. I don't know what happened. <laughs> we they found him in the parade. Right. But, um, yeah. I, I, I don't know how he got there because I didn't see him after this, but the, this, we get on this bus and it's scarce. And, and Matt looks at me, he goes, this either is going to be the most epic thing in the world that we're going to, or it's going to be lame as fuck. And we're just going to have coffee and like fucking danishes, which are like either way. Sure. What do, so we get back to St. Louis. It's 4.30. Um, and we get on this bus, and they take us across the river to the Enterprise Center. And as the bus is pulling up to the Enterprise Center, they're bringing us down the player's entrance ramp. And there's Alex Petrangelo in, like, a red suit carrying the fucking Stanley Cup. And I'm like, <laughs> holy shit. Sure as shit, we're in, the like, this private party room for... Three fucking hours, full bone breakfast buffet, people get wasted and celebrating with the team, holding the fucking Stanley Cup, um, talking to Darren Pang, and, and I got to visit with Ryan O'Reilly and and share with him some things that I've heard about his. It, it, for those of you that don't know or and listen to this, I'm a foster licensed foster parent, my wife and I, and. Our first placement, Charlie, became our. We've adopted him now. He's our son. It's a fucking miracle and all that shit. Um, 
would save a podcast episode to get into that. But but oh, Ryan O'Reilly came from a from a long a family that his biological parents fostered over like 50 kids in Ontario is what I've heard. Wow. And he's huge in the like helping kids community. Um, so we were bullshit, man. And, and he's got his con Smythe trophy sitting on the bar. Okay. That's his most valuable player trophy sitting on the bar. Darren Payne comes up and we're talking and I, I show Darren Payne the picture of my old man and tell him the story, uh, uh, that it's been, he's been gone for seven and a little over seven years at the time, eight years today. And I go, and he was in this fucking building, and it was a picture of my old man sitting on his bench at a hockey bench in his in his in some of his gear after a men's league game, and and Darren Pang, little guy, right, bald as fuck like me, and he says, "Come here, big guy, bring it the fuck in," and he gives me the biggest fucking hug. He goes, "Fucking right, fucking right," <laughs> starts crying. Wow. He goes, "Come here," takes the picture. He goes, "Ryan, Ryan, look at this," and he puts my old man's picture on top of the fucking Con Smythe trophy. And he goes, take a picture of that. And he and, and Darren Peng did that. And, and O'Reilly mm. was fucking shaking my hand and giving me bro hugs and shit. Yeah. Um, at one moment, uh, we're we're over and, and by all the all the guys are picking up the cup and taking pictures. And Braden Shin, which is funny, I I, I bought him a drink at Olive and Oak a couple months later. I saw him there, and and he doesn't remember it. And I didn't even bring it up. But I said, trust me. He goes, thanks for the drink. And I go, no, no, fucking thank you, Bra- Braden Shin looked at me and goes, here, he goes, picked it up, hold it. I go, Braden, I go, I'm not touching that fucking Stanley Cup, man. This is the fucking Stanley Cup, and it's yeah. sitting right there at my fucking shoelaces, and I'm like, I'm not touching it. And he's like, what do you mean you're not touching it? I go, Braden, I got my fucking ass kicked in juniors. I didn't come anywhere near earning something, to, uh, an opportunity to touch this fucking thing. It's a real, like, wise guy hockey thing, you know? And yeah. he goes, listen, we all got our fucking asses kicked in juniors. Hold this, motherfucker. Give me your phone. I'm going to take a picture of you. And he, <laughs> that was a quote. And he, t- So I pick it up. And I go, come here, guys. And I, I, I didn't want a picture of it by myself. So he takes my phone and takes a picture of me and Matt, um, our buddy Colin, and, and fucking Dirtbag Maggio holding the Stanley fucking cup at like 5.36 a.m. In the, in, the, in the confines of the Enterprise Center, uh, partying with the fucking blues players and their wives and, and Chris Kerber and John Kelly and Kelly Chase and, um, and Keith Kachuk and Barrett Jackman, and it just was, uh, it was, it was just the most fucking surreal experience in my life. And Tom was there every fucking step of the way, and and I documented it well, like on social media. It was a Stanley Cup journey. Yeah. I had mentioned earlier in the episode about how special that emos was because Tom and I, in between the games at the barn, that emos on Hampton and Oakland would go there, eat pizza, and then go back to the to the rink for the game. So I think it was Game Six. Uh, I made sure I took Ashley and Charlie to that emos and, and took a picture there. And yeah. I mean, it just was fucking f- in my heart. And it wasn't just a game. It wasn't just a vacation. It wasn't just a trip. I mean, this was a one way, one day trip. And, um, and, and I will never, ever forget it for for the fucking rest of my life, man. And I'm telling you, when we left that enterprise center, we, it was about seven fifteen, seven thirty in the morning. Um, I mean, I had slept in days, right. And I literally haven't been up this long in a, like a overnight, like a literal overnight where I didn't lay in bed, uh, since my fucking wild ass cocaine days of, of my twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they not... On my best fucking kokai and whatever fucking orgy I was on, it didn't even come to a drop in the fucking bucket of of the of the ecstasy, pardon the pun, of what this day and night and moment 
um, meant and felt. And I was able to fucking feel it, every fucking ounce of it, because I was sober, man. Mm. And because I turned my life around. And and I, if the blues would have done this while I was still a fucking wreck, hammered drunk, no fucking way I would have had it, appreciated it, and it, and, and, and uh, fucking man, it's just crazy to think about like how bad it would have been. I, I've told people that I would have fucking died. I probably would have drank myself so fucking stupid. Dim just went in the Western Conference Finals. Like, uh, yeah. I would have done something stupid and got fucking killed or something, man, or, uh, or overdosed on fucking blow. I don't know. I, it just, it's crazy. And so, to, so to be mindful of that and to just fucking look up to Tom and look up to fucking Jesus and be so fucking grateful. Um, my God, man, it's yeah. just crazy to fucking think about brother. And I left. So we, we walked up that ramp to leave this enterprise center and the, the garage door opened and it was bright as fucking day could be. <laughs> it was, it was like leaving the titty bar yeah. after an all nighter and you, that fuck it. Cause it's dark as fucking there. That sunlight hits you. But instead of like an ultimate depression and an ultimate low, like, Oh, what the fuck do we got to do now? Uh, I was like, where are we going? Where are we right. going? So, I mean, I, I, I think I, I, I got home. I caught Ashley and Charlie as before they, as they were leaving for school and work, <laughs> hugged them. And then, uh, I actually had a fucking work call at like eight 30 that morning or nine that I made. And then after that, I went to OB Clark's and this whole city was, uh, was the most special place on earth, uh, for a couple weeks. Wasn't it? I mean, I just, yeah. Man, yeah. and I could go a fucking another two hours. We're at an hour and twenty four minutes. It's probably our longest episode. I could keep keep fucking going, Jeff. But yeah. um, but I probably tuned a lot of people out and put them to sleep talking about this. But I don't talk about it very often because it's so surreal. Yeah. Like it didn't happen. Like it wasn't possible. And 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 I'll wrap up in a minute. But I one of the one of the points is is like as devastated as I was that they lost Game Six, right? And how heartbroken and then fucking pity party you want to go, oh, I can't the blues just do this, blah, blah, blah. If they didn't lose game six, I would have never had this fucking game seven experience. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that, I, and I'm not going to be all fucking philosopher Frederick Nietzsche or, 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 or Joey Nobel, whoever the fucking Nobel Peace Prize is named after, but <laughs> going through the shit we're going through today, going through depression, going through this anxiety, going through addiction, going through this fucking COVID shit. There's going to be fucking good again, man. There's yeah. going to be joyous fucking occasions and times. And and I don't think we recognize them without the, the lows in life. Like if every day was fucking Friday, we wouldn't fucking know what Friday felt like. You got to have a Monday, right? And 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 I'm not, you know, like, our, like Matt said, I'm not being all Pollyanna and shit. I understand how hard and brutal it is. And I know people are losing their fucking lives, but. Yeah. What. What. What didn't kill, I tried to, every second of every day, post Tom dying to fucking end my own life by just drinking myself to death, and it didn't happen, and um, God had other plans, and I was able to find joy again, um, and I was able to experience something like this that I never in a million years could have dreamed up. I fucking dreamed every day the Blues would win the Stanley Cup, but to experience like this, to have a, <clears throat> to have every little thing, uh, uh, uh I'm so grateful for Matt for including me, but to have t every little thing happen that happened, um, I mean, 
the only the only thing that didn't happen was me fucking lacing them up in game seven and, and maybe you know maybe feeding fucking O'Reilly that fucking one timer and you know I mean that's all I I, <coughs> I would look good doing it but um yeah or maybe taking a fucking shot at the rat uh Brad Marchand even though uh, I don't hate him actually everybody else does I think he's <laughs> I think he's a good hockey player but the point is I I just don't there, there's nothing. Nothing that I could have imagined or, or, or drawn up on a fucking drawing board that would even come close to what fucking God had in store and what Tom helped fucking put together. I just believe that from every, every fucking hair on my fucking body, every fiber of my being, I believe that. And I'm, I will go to my grave believing that. And, um, and he was there, man. He was in that, those fucking buildings with us. And, uh, and I often say, I wish he was there to see it, but I, I don't often say that. Scratch. I hear that often. That's what I yeah. should say. But I know he saw it. I know he fucking saw it. I know he was there, man. And and it is just like I I know it. Like I I I know that I'm Chris. That I'm 36. I, I that I know my identity. That's how much I know that Tom was there and had a and, and it was in that building and, along with everybody else that that <clears throat> loved. Loves the game of ice hockey like I have, and and has had family members that have. There's so many similar stories out there to mine, and um, if you're listening to this, guys, and, and you know somebody or have it, fucking please, shoot me a note. I'd love to have you on the sh- the, the podcast, and we could talk about it. I will talk <laughs> about this shit obviously for fucking hours, um, <laughs> and it's not like we're answering to any uh, stockholders right. or any fucking advertisers. So who gives a fuck who listens? This shit's fun. Yeah. And it makes my heart fucking smile. And I, I'm setting a record with how many times I say fuck today. <laughs> but I'm just... I think that works out too, man, because if what you didn't get to see until later was the celebration after Game 7. And all those guys were dropping F-bombs like you. <laughs> I mean, it sounded just like a Pondoff's Anonymous uh, episode. <laughs> listen, uh, people think it's a it's like a game for me. It's just how we talk. <laughs> yeah, know yeah. To, you know, I'm sure Charlie's going to probably say a couple bad words in grade school, and he's going to get in trouble for it, and we'll deal with it. But the, for the Bible belters out there that don't like the big bad F-word, s- mm. <laughs> Kiss my fucking ass. I just and, and let us pray, Amen. Um, Jeff, that's it. That's this fucking Stanley Cup story, brother. That's awesome. I um, I I, I want to close with the cherry on the second cherry, or third cherry on top from the Stanley Cup story, and it is about my uh, my my little boy, my. My my pain in the ass. <laughs> my <laughs> my son now, Charlie. Um, I mentioned what I did about Ryan O'Reilly, and uh, I had shot a note in January, early January of 2020. So season's underway. We're defending Stanley Cup champions, motherfuckers, and um, I shot the Blues a note because Ryan does things for kids and he's just in the adoption foster he helps support some circles and i think my email was like hey i'm not looking for tickets nothing like that just uh during the all-star break believe it or not um we're adopting our our adoptions finally on happening and it's and i and i shared a little bit of charlie's backstory with uh with this gal that kind of facilitates um this stuff with the blues and i said i if Ryan, we're going to do it at our church in Clayton. Um, 
if Ryan's available, I will make a large donation, whatever I can comfortably make, not large in his mind. He'd be large <laughs> to me. Yeah. Um, but to his, to his, to his charity for the, for the kiddos, if he could pop by and, uh, if he wanted to, if he was in the area for five minutes to, to it, 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 he's, if he's here for the all-star break and in Clayton long shot, because probably won't ever happen, but share with them the story too. I know he cares about kids that are getting adopted in the city. I think within about an hour and a half, I got an email back from this gal and said, Hey, um, that week is crazy with the all-star week and family stuff he's got going on. So he goes, there's just, that's going to be hard to do. And I had known that, but Ryan wants to meet Charlie. and wants you to come down to the game tomorrow night um, and meet him after the game. Can you guys come? And I was like, I didn't want tickets. I, I go to enough blues games, but for Charlie's sake, yeah, um, like we'll be there. Thank you so much. And so we went down the next night to me, Ashley, and Brooke. Um, they give us four seats, and Ryan's, um, excuse me, club seats. Uh, not, excuse me again. He he has club seats with like waitress services, and so we got seated, and the waitress came and knew who we were already, and. <laughs> said hi to Charlie and he was so fucking excited. He had his Ryan O'Reilly. He's always loved O'Reilly because he hears Ashley talk about him because she actually thinks he's fucking hot. Uh, toothless <laughs> prick. But um, that morning, Charlie woke up knowing he's going to go meet Ryan O'Reilly and he had had a loose tooth for a whole fucking week. And he looked at me, he goes, I'm going to pull my tooth out. He wouldn't let me touch it. Wouldn't let me yeah. touch it. For, I was begging him. Let me pull that out. Let me pull that out. That morning, he yanks his tooth out so he can look like O'Reilly. <laughs> so after the game, we go down and we get to meet him. And Ryan spent about 15, 20 minutes with us. He had other kids to meet, too. And, and, and it just couldn't have been a kinder fucking soul. Was showing Charlie asked him to show him some karate moves. So so O'Reilly was trying to show him some ninja moves. And I said, hey, take it easy. Don't get fucking hurt here, brother. You know, we, yeah. we, we need you healthy for the uh, for the playoff push, but uh, spent all spent time with him, signed a bunch of stuff for Charlie, and it was the uh, just a fucking magical cherry on top to see Charlie how excited he was and and signed his T-shirt. <clears throat> Charlie still talks about it, and he wore his signed Ryan O'Reilly T-shirt. Um, we he wanted to wear it in court, which I was fine with, but I uh, Mama Bear. Had him uh, had his little shirt and bow tie, but he did at the right. party at the party after the adoption at, at church. He 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 put on his Orion O'Reilly shirt and uh, and we had a quite a day, man. It was um, it's awesome, and it's just so like ingrained in the fucking DNA of my life and my heart, man. It's just hard to to even look back that all of that shit happened and these blessings in, in my life. Um, me and Charlie, I wrote about it and on social media that in a life where I thought would have no more joy after Tom died um, I, I found quite a bit and I'm so fucking grateful for it and I think he has had a hand in in, in a lot of it so <clears throat> oh man with that with that being say, said Jeff I just uh, uh, I'm ready for these boys to get back on the ice and defend that fucking holy grail yeah. and, um, and hopefully uh Hopefully we'll be back to that soon. I am dope sick for fucking ice hockey. I am dope sick for sports. Um, I gotta get some sports. NASCAR's coming back Sunday. Amen. Praise <laughs> the Lord. Holla fucking Luya. Let's go Blues. Jeff, thanks brother. Thanks yeah. for listening. Thanks to all you guys. Uh, be safe out there. Be well. God bless. Let's go Blues and uh, let us pray. Amen. 
if you're struggling or know someone that is, please, please have them check out our podcast and reach out to Chris or me. We want to listen and we're super eager to help. Pondoff's Anonymous is Chris Pondoff and produced by me, Jeff Allen. Our music is Antihero by McCall and Gentle Waters by Wild Wonder. For more information, visit pondoffsanonymous.com. Find us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you.